This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Producer's note. Please be aware that this episode contains mentions of non-consensual outing, authoritative manipulation, spiritual abuse, and suicidal ideation. If these topics are too difficult for you to listen to, please skip this episode. It's manipulative, it's deceiving, and on top of that, it is hurtful because when a gay person goes to a church, it's important to send these messages straight from the get-go because it allows the person to then say, hey, you know what, I shouldn't invest my emotions, maybe I shouldn't invest my time, I shouldn't invest my money because I'm going to get hurt in the end. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm Gail. And this is Full Mutuality. On today's show, we're going to be talking about spiritual abuse. We're going to be talking about church's positions on the LGBTQ community and how that ties into spiritual abuse. So that's where we're going to go. Um, we have Chris as a guest. And before we get to you, Chris, I wanted to zoom out because you and Nate are both from New Jersey and a lot of this story is going to take place where you're from. But I figured for those of us like me who live in Canada or maybe people who grew up in the South where their approaches to these topics might look culturally very different, uh, I figured maybe we could paint a little bit of the religious religious landscape of New Jersey, if that makes sense. I know you've gone to a few different churches throughout your life, Chris. Same for you, Nate. Uh, if someone was coming from a different place in the country, how would you describe the culture of New Jersey when it comes to church and how they handle topics like this, specifically with regard to the gay community? Nate, you have lived in the South, so I think your perspective on New Jersey, you might be able to contrast it a bit perhaps? Um, a little bit, although my time living in the South, so I was living in South Carolina for about five years. Um, and my time down there was in, um, fundamentalism. So my experience down there wasn't really indicative of the larger church world. Um, but based on what I kind of saw there and, and uh, like when I was working in churches, I was working for a couple churches here in New Jersey. And, um, one thing that I, um, that I noticed was that even though churches in both New Jersey and uh, like New Jersey, which is a slightly more um, politically liberal um, state, even though there are, you know, some pretty big pockets of, uh, of conservative areas, um, New Jersey by and large uh, leans pretty left on the American political spectrum. And yet evangelical churches in New Jersey still have the same kind of uh, conservative beliefs and ideologies that you'll find in states that are more overtly um, right-wing. The difference is in some of the packaging, because I think down south, I, I have noticed they're a lot more comfortable with um, homophobic and anti-LGBTQ language um, than they would be in New Jersey, which politically is very friendly to the LGBTQ community, um, even though in in some 
in a lot of regards, I, I find it to be somewhat tokenizing, but that's another conversation for another time. Um, so, so given that, I think you you see that churches in in New Jersey and other um, heavily left wing states tend to try to mask some of their language um, in vagueness and ambiguity. So that's kind of what I would what I would say you sort of see in the in the sort of church landscape in New Jersey. I don't know if, if you see a similar thing, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree. And I think um, I heard it said best, actually, that the South Christianity is the culture and the North it's not. And yeah. um, I think in New Jersey in particular, um, the evangelical ideology is probably the minority of New Jersey. Um, yeah. But what you end up seeing is these evangelical churches create such a strong community within themselves to support this ideology. So it could be a community of network referrals for medical providers and therapists and contractors um, to financial support to a lot of outings and support groups. And I mean, they really keep everything in the culture, um, which is something I came to realize very quickly. Um uh, where I think in the South, it's more free to kind of talk about Jesus as a common topic, where in New Jersey, you're not going to see that as much. And I, th- right. I think that what you guys just shared about New Jersey and kind of giving the bigger picture is so relevant to the topic that we want to get into today. Because we, as we talk about, you know, how churches handle the LGBTQ community, uh, I think one of those, how that ties into spiritual abuse really does come into this whole this whole conversation of how upfront are you? And how do you go about addressing these things? Like, is it something hidden? Is it something we're direct about? So before we go there, and I really do want to go there, I'm excited to talk about this, not excited, like it's a wonderful thing. But I really strongly believe that, like, it's an important topic. And it's one that evangelical churches need to come to terms with. And that's my background. That's your background, Nate. Chris, you've come out of it. You've had an experience just coming out of it. And so there's a lot to think through. Um, I wanted to just start with something maybe lighthearted and fun-ish, maybe. I'm not really sure. And I was just thinking the story of how you guys met is sort of an interesting one. And Nate, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling that before Chris gets into what happens. Or maybe they kind of, they sort of go together. So you could sort of lead the way into into it. Yeah, they, they kind of do go together a little bit. So so yeah, we actually met at a friend's house, um, and this kind of ties into the how this whole uh, story came about, how I found out about your story, Chris. Um, so uh, I had been hanging out with this uh, this little group of friends. I'm I'm part of a. Uh, a, a network called Brew Theology, which is sort of this interfaith conversation network about uh, different religious topics, spirituality, even science and politics. We'll get into that kind of thing. Um, and one of the members of my uh, Brew Theology group was also a, a Methodist pastor, and um, he hosted this little thing uh, called whiskey worship um where they worship the whiskey is that what goes yeah well apparently (laughs) (laughs) apparently it used to be like whiskey and worship i don't know the full story uh behind it because i joined in relatively late but um but then it uh it evolved from whiskey and worship kind of pulled the and out of there because well you know we weren't nobody yeah and nobody was really like doing any kind of like 
you know, Jesus worship there. It was more like, let's just talk about whiskey. Let's, let's enjoy the whiskey. We'll have a tasting and then we'll have a meal and just hang out and let the conversation go wherever it wants to go. And Brandon is such a fun guy. The one who runs it. I mean, he really is passionate about his whiskey. And I know we've all, we've all met through Brandon (laughs) and he's an awesome guy, but like, I only was at whiskey worship once and it's when he covered Canadian whiskey. And that was, that was a lot of fun, but that's, I think that was the only one. Maybe I was at more than one. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Sorry, I cut into this. But go ahead, Nate. <laughs> Meeting? How did you two meet? Yeah. So anyway, at this, uh, I guess one of them, um, Chris, you were uh, you were attending. And I think you were, you had attended um, Brendan's church prior to him moving to another congregation, right? Yes, I did. Yep. Okay. So that you, you, I guess you were invited to, to his event or something? Yeah, I mean... Th- and I, I'll go into this. He he was so instrumental in the healing process of this um, because he allowed me to ask really tough questions. And he thought it'd be a great idea for me to come to a group um, where people were from all different areas and walks of life and just kind of in a relaxed environment and just talk about different topics. It was really a huge time of deconstruction. And um a lot of people that do attend are from the Methodist church, um, from what I understand. But it was, I brought friends there who, um, it's just a very relaxed environment. Um, and I think the the goal, if I remember correctly, was to create a casual conversation. I think Martin Luther used to get drunk, um, if I remember the story correctly, and talk about theology with his his friends. Um, and so I think Pastor Brendan had the same kind of thought process. Um that you could have a really cool conversation, and that the goal wasn't to get drunk. Let me make that clear. Um, <laughs> but you could have a really, you could have a really cool conversation in a more relaxed environment. Um, yeah. And so I think that was. Um, so I ended up going. Yeah. So um, what was funny was uh, Brendan had actually told me that I, I feel like we keep dropping his name. I'm going to have to tell him about this episode. Um, <laughs> so Brendan had told me about. Um, a church that he, like an evangelical church that he was getting uh, a number of people from, and they had experienced trauma at their, um, at their church. Little did I know that it was you and that this church that he was referring to was a church that I was on staff at for five years, which I mean, like we've been kind of dancing around it since the start of the episode, since we started talking. Um, so we might as well dive in. Um, uh, Chris, you shared your story that briefly shared a little bit of your story because you were kind of still in the middle of it that night when we first uh we first met right like um you you were still sort of dealing with uh, i don't know if it was in the middle or you were dealing with the aftermath of everything that had gone on but maybe if if you could uh give us a little bit of background you you shared your story with me and i i published it to my blog and i'll share that in the show notes so anybody who's listening uh you can go ahead and click the link there and read the story in written format but um but chris if you wouldn't mind kind of just sharing a little bit uh about the background of what went on um and and your experience there. Yeah. So, um, and I also want to say church clarity picked up the story and reposted it, um, which I thought was, yeah, yeah, which I thought was really important because the church, um, emergence, um, was not clear at all about where they stood on their website. And I think that is a huge potential for what we'll talk about in a little bit, but basically, um, I grew up in the evangelical world, um, attended young life youth groups growing up, accepted Christ in sixth grade, And I told my youth leader and very close people in the church that I was attracted to men. I had same-sex attraction, as we would call it. And immediately, I was sent to a homosexuals anonymous group 
at a church in nearby Emergence, actually, before Emergence existed, um, because I was in high school. Um, this was during the time Exodus was still around. Um, and so I kind of went to different places to get counsel on how to help with my same-sex attraction. Um, ended up going to a private Christian college, came out as gay there, which you can imagine was a huge disaster and a huge mess. Um, so I stopped going to church for a while. And I found myself kind of going back and forth because I love God, love Jesus. Jesus made it has changed my life for the better. But I, I was not cured of being gay. I was still attracted to men. It wasn't going away. I've dated women and you could even ask them. There was no romantic chemistry there. Um, one of my friends who I'm still friends with to this day, she'll be like, there was no romance there. And we and I'm like, I'm so sorry. And she's like, it's okay. Um, but she recommended, I um, needed, at the time I was in a support group, a secular support group. Um, she told me Emergence had a 12-step program for different areas. They had it for eating disorders, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, drug addiction, sex addiction. Um, you name it, they had a 12-step um, a program called Celebrate Recovery. She said, you'll love it. I ended up going there. I was very honest at the time I was living with a guy. Um, I said I was living with this guy. I talked about what I was struggling with and um, what I was hoping to get um, by coming to this group. And that's kind of how it started. And people started slowly telling me that they were gay or, you know, in the <laughs> in secret, they were going to bathhouses, they were getting massages with happy endings. They There was a lot of hidden homosexuality that no one wanted to talk about. And it was coming to me in private. I, and I will say this now. So in the article, we use the name Jason. And um, the reason we used the word Jason, the name Jason was because my boyfriend at the time did not feel comfortable yet to come forward about the story, but he did give us permission to say his name. Um, and he, is, he was involved in the article process. So it wasn't like he had no idea what was going on. He actually was with you and I um, when we wrote this, but he wanted to use the name Jason. Um, but spoke to him today and he wanted us to use his name. So Tom, um, Tom and I become very close friends and all of us um, in this group, um, or not all of us, but a good portion of us become very close. Tom, Can I ask and a quick Tom, question? Sorry, Chris, to cut you. Yeah. When you mentioned the, that this group was for recovery, um, when you were going to it and specifically a lot of people coming and telling you, you know, that they were gay privately, um, you weren't specifically going to cure yourself of homo like that. What homosexuality was not the reason at all that you were a part of this group. No, this was not focused on homosexuality at all. Um, this you listed uh, so many different areas of recovery that they touched on for you. It was one of the other things. But just, I just wanted to make that clear for no. people listening. Okay. Yeah, it was not homosexuality. And um, Tom and I started, um, our friendship got stronger and we started dating. Tom was in leadership prior to us dating and we were very close. And the article goes into great detail about this, but he was removed from leadership for being in a gay relationship. The article also talks about how one of the pastors suggested that he not go on pre-exposure uh, treatment because was it that and that was prior to you guys starting to date or was that um, while you were dating um this was before we dated okay, so i think dated. i think the church pushed th this pastor in particular pushed the idea that pre-exposure hiv treatment called prep truvada and discovia are like the two popular ones um no one should go on that because it encourages them to have sex oh that's like um, don't don't 
have a condom or use birth control if you're a teenager because then you'll just want to have sex. So hopefully when you're in the moment, you'll just stand strong for Jesus and no one's going to act on any sexual impulses ever because they have chosen not to have protection. That That's what's going to be their, right. their motivating thing in the heat of a moment. Right, <laughs> right. And this was said to me too. So this is, this is um, just kind of... Don't go on prep because it's going to encourage you to do it. But the idea was because he was in a gay relationship, he should be on prep. And the pastor said no, because it's going to encourage him to do it. My frustration is starting to build at this point uh, with what's going on and what I'm seeing. And so Tom and I start dating. And uh, one of the pastors calls me while I'm at the beach to say, I heard you and Tom kissed and I would suggest you guys slow it down. And I'm like, how, how did this pastor find out that we kissed? Like, where did that come from? Um, and it starts spreading that Tom and I are dating and Tom gets called into meetings and I'm asking questions. Ultimately, and the article goes into great detail about this, ultimately what ends up happening is they tell Tom that they're going to remove his membership publicly and explain that he is in a homosexual relationship. Wow. Now, Tom, Tom is not out yet. So Tom, his family doesn't know. Many of his friends don't know. This was a huge problem. So I texted the pastors in a group, all the pastors in a group text and said, what you're doing is psychological abuse. This is why people sue churches because of psychological abuse. I highly recommend that you don't do this because this is emotional torture and it is mm-hmm. not fair and it is not Christ-like. You know, they didn't really think much about that. I reached out to centerpiece um, Sally Gary in Texas um, okay. and we got to talk and her wife wrote a book actually called Future Ethics, Scripture Ethics and the Possibility of Same-Sex Relationships. So it was really cool to talk to her. And she's a mediator um, for churches, particularly with LGBT issues. And she said, you can include me in an email. Um, so I included her in an email. I said, can we all meet and sit down and kind of talk about this? Because it would be really harmful for Tom if you were to publicly state that he is in a gay relationship because he's not out. I'm out, but he's not. They immediately sent an email to me um, saying that they consulted with their legal counsel. I am no longer allowed to attend emergence church. I'm not allowed to talk to any of the leadership and I'm not allowed to attend any emergence function or attend the recovery group. And then what they text- was their rationale for that? Did they I, have any kind of legitimate legal reason for preventing you from attending? I think they're afraid that I think they were afraid of a possible lawsuit. And I understand the fear, but to me, it just revealed to me more and more that emergence is a business. Hmm. And the other thing that was really sad about this too, is this is when I realized you are not a true recovery group because a true recovery group, you do not get punished for being honest. So Tom and I are coming forward saying we're in a gay relationship and we have struggles and we need to work things out and you're punishing us. And you're assuming this is in confidence and you're assuming this is not going to affect Tom's, you know, situation at church that he's, you know, that this is supposed to be a safe confidential space that you didn't, were you aware that this was hooked up to the church at the time when you joined the recovery group or? So I was told, and this is where my sponsor at the time in the program yelled at one of the pastors. There was so much mixed messaging. Um, One pastor told me that redemption recovery and emergence Emergence was hosting Celebrate Recovery, but it was not a ministry of emergence. And then another pastor later on said that is not true. It is a ministry of emergence. I really wish they would have tied the two together sooner rather than later, because I think I would have had a better understanding of what was going on. Sorry, just to clarify, yeah. because I, I know in the uh, in the article, um, it's called Redemption and Recovery. You were, you were referring to it as cel- Celebrate Recovery. Are they like one in the same? Are they the... Um, if I remember, if I know... 
correctly, Redemption and Recovery is a national program founded by an evangelical church. Oh, um, okay, okay. Emergence took their own spin on it and called it Celebrate Recovery. I or see. Maybe okay. I have it reversed. Maybe, I don't know. The names were always were intertwined, but one is a mm. national program and then Emergence took a spin on it. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so the nickname was R&R. Um, gotcha. And I was an avid attender of R&R. Um, I was going weekly to the um, step study program. I was even attending um, emergent services. I mean, I was getting very active in this, um, very active in the community, made a lot of friends. During this time, Tom, and I think Tom um, will come forward with his story. Um, We were talking about this today and um, Mm -hmm. the past few weeks about this. And um, so I don't want to go too much onto his side, but I, at one point, started becoming suicidal. And the reason I was becoming suicidal is because I lost literally my support network was ripped from me. You, I've invested all my emotion, all my energy, telling all my hard truths. I told things to people like deep, dark secrets I've never told anyone before in the hopes that it would help my what I struggle with, with, with my addiction. And to have it ripped from me like that was so traumatic. And it taught me a hard lesson. It taught me you know, it's a recovery process, a healing process. But at the moment, I can't trust anybody. Who can I trust? If I can't trust people who call themselves Christians, and if I can't trust a 12-step recovery program that prides itself in openness and honesty and love and compassion, what am I? what's the purpose? And so I found myself one night in New York City in a hotel. And luckily, Tom was kind of on the phone with me through this process because the thought about hanging myself in that hotel room was just constant. I, I, I had no, um, no desire to live, no, no feeling of purpose, no feeling of meaning in my life at that time. Um, and so it, it was definitely a wake up call for both Tom and I, the church did a lot of damage and, um, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder by my therapist and my psychiatrist. And, Tom and I have went through a healing process. We attended religious trauma therapy. And ultimately, we started looking for new churches because Christ is really important to us. And I think there's a misconception that if you're gay or trans or lesbian, you can't love Jesus. Well, that is completely inaccurate. So I just want to say that now. And there are many churches that will support you in your journey of understanding who you are. And so the first church I went to was Parkside Community Church in Westwood, a loving church where Tom and I felt comfortable, but it was not really for us. And I think it was because it was liturgical style of worship and we're not really used to that. Um, But they were so warm and friendly and they still, you know, they'll still text us to this day, Um, especially the music leader will check up on us, which is so sweet even a year later. And then we ended up going, I, we did a search um, for people that were our age and it brought us to where pastor Brendan was And um, Pastor Brendan did these spiritual exercises with us. He met with us weekly to really, his whole purpose was, I don't want you to link God and the pain that happened to you together because that was not Christ. What happened to you guys was not Christ. So Pastor Brendan invited us to Whiskey Worship, um, and that is where we met. That was kind of the quick version. Uh, The article goes into much more detail. Um, Yeah. uh, so I, I wanted to bring up something because um, something that you had touched on early uh, earlier was uh, the fact that uh, the leadership at Emergence, um, basically their um, their recourse, it seems, was to publicly out Tom. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to touch on like why that's a 
problem. So, you know, uh, Gail and I have had conversations about this in the past. Um, and then, you know, feel free to, to jump in with your thoughts as well. But one of the things that, that hits me is that, um, any kind of sexual or gender minority, um, particularly ones that are not like assigned a, a specific sex at birth, you know, if they're not cisgender or if you're not um, heterosexual, mm -hmm. anytime you're you're in that category, you could find yourself in some pretty um, tenuous situations should certain people find out right so for a lot of uh for a lot of lgbtq youth um their family might come from you know conservative christian backgrounds um who have exhibited um hostility towards the lgbtq community and so coming out to their family could be detrimental to their let's say um housing personal safety right like they, they might find themselves on the street after coming out for others it might come down to employment right you might be working in a um working for a boss who is conservative uh you might be working for an evangelical church and realize you're um, gay after you start working for a church yeah yeah. And when yeah. you come out, your livelihood is on the line, right? Like, so just some advice for anybody out there um, who's listening to this and, and somebody has confided in you that, you know, if they've, they've come out to you about their um, sexual uh, orientation or their gender identity, it's not your story to tell. And don't go spreading that around, right? Like, yeah, Wait, sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, and I, I just wanted to say too, you and I purposely took a piece of the article out because it outed someone in emergence. Um, mm -hmm. We changed Tom's name to Jason at the time because he wasn't ready. And we purposely did not include a, a piece of the story, though it I thought it was important, um, but we didn't include it because it would have outed someone indirectly. It is very hurtful to do that. And even, you know, I went through a lot of emotions. Um, of, you know, anger was definitely one of them. And even in my anger, outing this person was not the right thing to do. Um, yeah. What I will say, though, is emergence does have a huge thing that they need to work through and this and their lack of clarity. Um, and, and it's funny because after the article came out, they started having sermon series, um, of course. Oh, did they? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what the sermon series was? Conflict resolution, which I think is uh -oh. great. Uh, of wow. course it was. Wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, they still have not reached out to me to this day. And one of my no, friends said to me- They haven't reached out to me either. Yeah. And one of my friends said- but pastor so-and-so just wants you to know that he loves you. I'm like, why doesn't he right. tell me that? Why right. Why doesn't he tell me that? And this is someone why I, send, I- Why send the family members on Facebook to come after you when you talk? <laughs> like, you right. know, the, the messaging there is kind of- um, I, I, I want to say too, and, and just make it very clear. There are people at Emergence that still go there that defended Tom and I. They met with the pastors and said what was wrong was wrong. Um, and I'm very grateful for those people. They um, I are not ready to leave. I think there will come a time where I think they'll start seeing a lot of the damage. Because I'm not the only story. There's been other stories. And as the article came out, people were starting to write and say what happened to them. Tom at work, people came up to him and said, hey, my two sons are gay and um, we left emergence for the same reason. So this, I'm not the first story and I'm not going to be the last, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, there's a quote that Desmond Tutu writes, which the pastor of the church I go to now said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say that you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your uh, neutrality. And mm -hmm. what's even interesting, James 417 
says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So I was looking at the people who were quiet because after the article came out, people said, you know what, maybe we should have spoke up and they still haven't spoken up. And I was brought to that verse and I remember saying, wow, so there is so much power in standing up for those who are being persecuted. And it's something that I think emergence needs to really talk about. I think they like to say we love gay people. Um, gay people could come to our services, but that's it. There, There is no active, they like to keep everything inward, it seems. Um, it's a very cultured community. And so that, I don't know, those that quote and that verse was very powerful, powerful for me at that time. Um, just reflecting back about people saying, oh, I should have spoken up, but I didn't. And those people... Tom and I don't really talk to anymore. Definitely at my most vulnerable moments, I have noticed who who took a stand for me and who didn't. And I think silence can be very, very loud. And, you know, you talked about, um, I don't know if persecution was the word you used, but that word popped in my head as you were discussing it. Christians often like to talk about persecution and like to talk about how they are under persecution. And it's usually things like, I get offended if somebody doesn't wish me a Merry Christmas. So Christians right. are under attack. But in reality, one of the things that evangelicalism needs to sort of wrap its mind around, or what I hope people get as they listen to this, when you mentioned, you know, the good you ought to do and you and you don't, the one who knows what they should do, the one who should speak up, you know, instead of speaking up about, well, we should be wished Merry Christmas, where Christians should be speaking up is going to their leadership and saying, actually, how the gay community is being treated in this church is not okay with me. It bothers me and I'm not actually okay with how this is being handled. The people who saw what happened in your story and are choosing not to ruffle feathers are doing damage, are doing a lot of damage behind the scenes because, and I'm glad we talked about this a bit before, but you know, kids getting thrown out of their homes. I was a youth pastor as well. Nate and I were both on staff at some points with children's ministry, you with children's ministry, Nate, myself with youth. And what I remember is seeing kids that were dealing with depression, I, and I'm not outing anybody, but there was multiple gay kids in my church that were not out. And there was fear. There was fear about if parents found out they could end up on the street. I watched them go through depression because they couldn't, they didn't know, like, you know, if they could let the closest people in their life in on something that was part of their identity. And there's just so much, you know, anxiety constantly with them all of the time. And I think churches need to understand that saying you love gay people while your positions cause active harm. And this is something I hope people could start to think through more carefully and start to speak out about. You might think you're welcoming and friendly, but if your stances on things will cause suicide, depression, anxiety, somebody to possibly lose their job, get kicked out of their church, uh, lose their support community, get kicked out of a recovery program, whatever. Like if these are the consequences to the gay community of your church being loving to gay people, there's a big, 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 big problem. Like this yeah. is, you know, yeah. you're... Your whole, we're welcoming. And I think this is also a direction. I, we, when you mentioned church clarity earlier, um, you said that, you know, they picked up your story as well. People might not know what church clarity is about, but we talked before we even started the podcast, you had a very interesting quote and it kind of ties into what church clarity does as an organization and why this we're welcoming while actually not being honest about where they stand on things is extremely mm -hmm. harmful. I don't know if you remember which quote you pulled yeah, from or which so book, but. So, Padre Gotuma is a theologian who went through reparative therapy in Ireland, um, and he does a great video uh, talking about 
how churches that are non-affirming should make their point across from the beginning. Uh, Ryan Batesel said to me in his office, he said, um, you know, it's more important for people to know Christ than us address homosexuality. So usually we won't talk about it first. We could and talk Ryan about it. was the pastor at the church where you He's went to all this. pastor, yeah. And um, so Padre Gotuma says that is the worst thing to do because it's manipulative, it's deceiving. And on top of that, it is hurtful because when a gay person goes to a church, and it doesn't even have to be gay, it could be anything, maybe a divorced woman or a woman who is interested in teaching Bible um, classes at the church and they don't allow women to teach. It's important to send these messages straight from the get-go because it allows the person to then say, hey, you know what? I shouldn't invest my emotions. Maybe I shouldn't invest my time. I shouldn't invest my money because I'm going to get hurt in the end. Or as Padre Gatuma says, they may still decide to come because they like the people, their friends go there and the sermons speak something to them. But let the person, don't manipulate someone into going to your church. Let them make the decision if they want to go to a non-affirming church or not. And so mm-hmm. I thought Padre Gotuma spoke that way more eloquently than I can. And he's a lot more soothing when he speaks because of that, I think, Irish accent. So it's really cool to hear him talk about it. Um, but I, I think that's really important. And I wish that there was a lot more clarity from leadership uh, when mm-hmm. I started going there. And uh, just a side note, when I, my ex and I, before Tom and I dated a year prior, um, my I brought my ex to a New Year's Eve thing at the church um, for the recovery program. No one really spoke to him. They knew who he was, except my one friend. And my one friend was one of the people, one of the three that actually spoke up for Tom and I. So I thought that was really powerful too. So you can say you love people, but if you're not willing to go out of your way to make people feel welcome, I think, you know, words are just words. Absolutely. And going back to the church clarity, um, Nate, you lent it, lent some support to them at some point or helping. Yeah, I, I was volunteering for Church Clarity a little while ago. So, do you care so, to give um, some description of what they do and how? Yeah, yeah. So th- they're they're an organization. They've got a website that basically um, provides a bit of a database of uh, churches and their stances on um, specific issues. Um, the the two most important ones um, being uh, their response to the LGBTQ community and their response to women in leadership. So. Um, and they ask questions about policy, not about um, what you believe, um, because churches and church leadership can dance around that. So what do you believe about uh, about same-sex attraction? Well, then they can give all of their little answers, but never actually let you know what's going to happen to you if you attend the church. Um, so for uh, the questions that Church Clarity asks of churches are things like, will you um, ever perform a same-sex wedding? Will you, or or a, a pastor on your staff, ever ordain um, a gay or lesbian minister? Will you ever hire uh, a staff member who is gay, lesbian, or trans? Yes or no questions that get to the the heart of the matter. And if a church doesn't respond, then they get categorized on the website as being unclear. And then, you know, so so some of the stuff that like volunteers are tasked with doing are things like researching websites, uh, church websites to try to see if there's any information, um, whether ambiguous or not. Um, usually we look for telltale signs like their network affiliation. So if they happen to be affiliated with a network like the Acts 29 network, Which is we emergence. know that the Acts, yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Yep. And we know that the Acts 29 network is non-egalitarian, which means that they don't permit women to be um, elders or uh, or leaders in, in the church and that they are unaffirming of the LGBTQ community. Um, so we know this about the Acts 29 network. So any church that's affiliated with Acts 29, we can say, even if the church doesn't provide us information, we can say, um, pretty confidently, they are um, unaffirming, but that they do get categorized as unclear because they haven't, you know, clearly stated their stance. And I think that's something that ties into this story. When it comes to clarity, Emergence had nothing on their website about where they stood on this topic. And I think as an observation, um, that not only and so I was I was a part of uh, the Emergence staff um, from from the founding of the church for the first uh, the first five years of its existence as, as an ind- as sort of a, uh, an independent church um, apart from the church that that started it and um, I, I don't recall any real conversations about how they would develop policy around uh, sexual or gender minority uh, or gender identity minority. There were no real conversations other than, well, here's what the Bible says. And so this is what we believe. And so since there was never anything drawn up in in like um, bylaws or anything very clearly, um, and they didn't say what they were going to do if faced with the circumstance of of any queer folks coming up into leadership or anything like that. They, they, I think in, in, in your story, Chris, and in others, I think they just kind of fly by the seat of their pants. Um, and hope I was told it's case by case basis. So one of the questions that I asked was, well, if you had a married gay couple with kids, what then? They're like, Mm. well, you know, it's case by case. I, I don't know. I think, and this isn't just emergence. There's other churches I've heard stories from after the article came out in New Jersey. It's very similar stories. One woman, she was a lesbian. She attended a membership class at another large church in New Jersey. And it was at the very end of the membership class. They said, well, you can't become a member because you're a lesbian. What really frustrates me about all of this, this is contrary to the character of Jesus. Jesus was direct. Jesus said what he said, um, or said what he meant and met what he said. And so this is very unchristlike to me. And we, you know, this could be a whole nother conversation. I, I would characterize, characterize emergence as Paulonians. So they're more followers of Paul than Jesus. Isn't that like the, the large swath of evangelical churches? Right. Well, I think when church clarity, you know, goes through those questions, are you affirming of the gay community and do you support women? Most evangelical churches come out. Nope. Nope. On both of those. Um, right. But you were making me think with how people are so subtle about it, too, and how they could just come straight out like Jesus and say what they think. I, what what popped into my head was when on Facebook you ask someone or on any social media, you know, what do you think? You want to call them out straight. Like, I like how Church Clarity goes, yes or no? Would you ordain someone? Like, what are your actual, when the rubber meets the road? Not we love and support and are welcoming to all gay people, but then they right. won't ordain you, but they don't tell you that. Or we love women, but we won't let them preach or be in highest leadership at our church. All the under, unspoken things tell you so much more about what they actually believe than their, we love and welcome and support, which are usually and often not backed up by any true measure of that. But I was thinking of how when you ask someone directly, often when they are not affirming and when they don't support women, they'll say things, especially on the gay topic, they'll be like, um, you know, I'd love to answer your question, but let's go out for coffee to have that conversation because it's so nuanced. (laughs) It's such a nuanced talk. It's like, no, it's not. You do or you don't support gay. Like, what is difficult about this? Why is this so hard for you to come straight out and say what you think? And 
I yeah. guess I feel from listening to a little bit about how New Jersey works, it reminds me a bit of Canada where it's not the dom- dominant culture doesn't reflect the evangelical culture. So they can't straight up feel comfortable telling people, hey, we're not affirming. Hey, we don't let women do X, Y, Z. They just don't put a lot of stuff up front and then they act very supporting towards those communities to try and show the opposite. And then it's like a whiplash later on when you end up finding out that's not actually how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I love, you know, and through part, I call it deconstruction. And I got to talk, this article brought so much blessing because I got to talk to really cool people that helped me through this healing process. Um, and one of the things I, I, through this process, I said, what did Jesus say about these things? Particularly with women, he was sending women to, women preached his resurrection, which I, I find um, hysterical that we're not going to let women teach in a church. But not it was even on Resurrection women. Sunday. You would think right, that. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of women sometimes talk on Mother's Day, maybe. But I think Resurrection right. Sunday, we can model Jesus on that one, maybe. Yeah, we should model sense? Jesus on that one, <laughs> Resurrection Sunday, definitely. I, I think emergence has a lot to work to do, a lot of work to do. Um, you know, people still tell me about sermons and things that are being said. Um, even after we thought the dust had settled, there was still gossip going on. All in all, though, I think... The big picture, and and I guess the message of hope is that there is healing. Um, there are religious trauma therapists that exist out there who specialize in this issue. There are support groups for this. Um, Freed Hearts is a nonprofit. Susan Cottrell, we were talking on Facebook, she runs it. Um, and just um, there, there's so much support out there for people who have been pushed out of the church community. And again, the emergence and other churches like it they supply financial assistance referral sources food um support groups i mean it's it's such a community so to be ripped from it is super traumatizing thanks for listening our conversation with chris continued beyond this episode so stay tuned for part two of this important dialogue that we shared with him Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss when it comes out. And feel free to interact with us by visiting our website, fullmutuality.com. There you'll find links to our social media pages, contact info, and more. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on iTunes or on our website. That's the best way you can support our podcast and get the word out there about the content we're providing.